Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Hey, it's great to have you guys with us today. And if you're new with us, we are in a series called Recalculating. And my heart for this series um, was to help you, and really to, as your pastor, to understand how do you discern and engage And I don't want to use the word understand the will of God because I think that's way beyond our pay grade, right, is to understand the mind of God or the will of God because his ways are so much higher. But each week what we've done is we're looking at how do you do that? Because one of the major questions people ask, like remember the purpose-driven life? Everybody wants to know their purpose. They want to know what God's called them to, um, what, what is God's will. And for many of us, it's not just the big macro, like what is God's will for my life? It's each decision. Should I take this job? You're probably asking Should I date this person? Should I make this financial investment? Should I make this change? Should I buy that house and leave this? There's so many decisions we have to make. And I think so many times as as believers, we are just anxious about, are we making the right decision? And I want to help you understand that uh, today. So my son, and I give a lot of illustrations of him because I spend a lot of time with him. And so he's come around a lot, but I learn a lot in my interactions with him. And so not only do I take time with my, my boy, but I learned from him. And a few years ago, when he really got into like drawing and art, like as I loved art growing up, loved it. I have like sketchbooks and everything. Um, he had the wrong mindset. We would go get a ream of paper, we'd pull it out, and with a pen, he would find a stormtrooper or Star Wars thing on the internet, and with a pen and paper, he would try to draw it. And guess what would happen the first time he made a mistake? <laughs> Ball it up and throw it away. And he would go through paper after paper after paper. He'd get almost there. He's get, it looks really good. And then one tiny mistake, he balls it up and he throws it away again. I said, son, I said, son, I said, this is going to drive you crazy. This is not what art is. No artist on planet Earth does this. I said, number one, either we're going to practice and sketch first, and then we'll attempt the real thing. But even when you attempt the real thing, there's going to be flaws in what you're drawing. And what you have to do is understand when that flaw is there is how to correct it. Every piece of art, to us, we don't see a flaw, but to the one who made the art piece, you're like, oh, yeah, no, over there, you don't see this, but I messed up right there. Yeah, that, that, that was totally something that, you know, I didn't mean to do, and I had to correct that and make it look good. Because, um, you know, I, I went and did a, um, one of these little paint nights one time. You ever done paint nights? They teach you how to paint and do all that. Um, it's really cool. I never thought I could paint, right, like that, make it look good. But I messed up a lot. There's a lot of course correcting. And so I taught my son that, and that's what he does now. So now he understands with a pencil, there's an eraser, (laughs) and it's going to have mistakes in it. And I want to use that illustration to launch off today to help you understand when it comes to God's plan for your life, you can't look at it like my son looked at the, the, the pen and the paper was drawing. And that's how we approach things sometimes. It's so like, it's got to be perfect, and if it's not, it's not perfect. And that's not how we can approach the will of God. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 today. The writer of Hebrews helps us understand something really important that, that you have, may have missed if you've ever read this passage. Now, before we jump into Hebrews 5, understand the book of Hebrews. It's the most Christological book in the whole New Testament. It is all about Christ and who he is for us and and he's our high priest and what his sacrifice was. If you wanna know who Christ is, especially kind of the Jewish parallels and all the Old Testament and how it brings into us, it's beautiful. And in chapter four and five, the writer of Hebrews, so we don't know who that writer is. There's a lot of speculation. All we know is that that manuscript in the first century was adopted by the second century leaders saying that had apostolic authority. We're like, well, who was the apostle? Because they're not named in there. 
There's a lot of ambiguity about who wrote this, right? And so in this letter here that's written in chapter 4 and 5, the writer talks about Melchizedek from the Old Testament, this, this high priest of Salem that's kind of mysterious and just appears. And then you know, Abraham gives him you know, uh, the, the bread and the wine and gives him a tithe and all this stuff. And then the writer's comparing Melchizedek as, to Christ. It's showing the connection and correlation. It's a pretty deep parallel if you've never read that, right? can be a little confusing, but I'm not here to preach on that today. Because what happens is he's explaining this really deep topic. Which some of you are like saying, well, what's he talking about? Uh. And the writer, like as he's writing this, he gets frustrated with the people. <laughs> he actually, we, we, Hebrews 5.11, he's teaching this really deep topic. And he's like, oh, some of you just aren't getting it. And they haven't even gotten the letter yet. And here's what he says in verse, uh, verses uh, 5, 11 through 14. He says, there's much more we would like to say to you about this, but it's difficult to explain. That statement's okay, right? But he goes on, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. <laughs> How would you like me to say, well, I'd like to go a lot deeper to this, but you're really spiritually dull and you have a tendency to not listen to me. <laughs> Some of you all be like, I ain't coming, that guy's me. This is what the writer said. He gets frustrated. He's like, they're not going to get this anyway. And then he goes on. He says, you have, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Let me pause for a second with that. And, and let me just apply that to us today. Some of us today have been believers so long, you should be contributing. You should be leading a small group. You should be serving in the local church. You've been following Jesus way too long to just sit and consume. And that's what he's saying. Like a lot of us sit back like armchair quarterbacks and we want to criticize the church, but we aren't contributing to it. And you've been believers too long to be, be, be in that realm, right? And he says that to them. Hey, you, you should be teaching others by now. Like that's the goal, discipleship. You start discipling other people in some way, shape, or form. I didn't say that. Don't, don't give me that side eye, man. Come on. Instead, he said, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies. I mean, he's he's... He is so salty. He's just running like you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. In verse 14, I want to really draw your attention to this one scripture today. Solid food is for those who are mature. So how do you get to, to become mature? And this is so, I've, I've never seen this before until Timothy Keller, Dr. Keller, late Tim Keller pointed this out. Who through training, say training, very important. Have the skill to recognize the difference between right, or, right and wrong through training. And, and what he's sharing here is this. People who are mature, and not just knowing right and wrong, like this is right, this is wrong, but the word there, if you look at the King James, is like discerning, be able to discern, to know. Like he's saying people who are mature and they make good decisions, if you feel like, man, they, they just know. Do you have somebody you go to because they just know? Like, you bring something to them, and, like, they just blow you away with wisdom. You're like, man, like, how did you get this? Like, like you know, and it didn't come from school. It didn't come from, from them getting it somewhere else. It came from them practicing through a skill to know what is right and wrong. And what I want to talk to you today about the will of God is one thing that you may never hear about that, about the plan of God for your life. And it's that when it comes to this, if you don't understand this, this will drive you crazy. But here's what I want you to get today that's this here. Trial and error cannot be bypassed. Trial and error cannot be bypassed. Because all of us would love to, could you imagine having someone to go to that would tell you exactly what to do before you do it? Wouldn't that be awesome to tell you, to give you the exact right answer? 
I mean, think about it. That's why our world is like so enamored with the occult, right? And that's what palm readers are. They're this de demonic. It's the occult. They want to go and figure out something before it happens. Tell me my future. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And so many times, um, myself and our other pastoral staff will get questions coming in saying, hey, I've got this decision to make. What should I do? Because inside of all of us, we are scared to make a wrong decision. We're scared to do the wrong thing. Now, that could be a good thing for you, but can I tell you, when it comes to the will of God, it can be a bad thing too. You're gonna have to learn to draw with a pencil in your life. Because it says the people who are mature, how they got there was trial and error. And they learn from the trials and the error. But what we end up doing, and I said this last week, is we get stuck because we messed up or made a mistake or it didn't turn out right. We get stuck in shame cycles. And that's the number one thing I see with people not walking in the full potential and the calling God has is because they continue to say, yeah, but I messed up. I did this. I made the bad mistake. I made the wrong decision. And can I tell you, there's no way to get around it. You're going to you're going to one day look back and, and, and in regret and say, why did I take that job? It didn't work out like I thought it would. Why did I ever walk down the aisle? Why did I ever do that? Why did I ever invest that money? Why did I ever make that decision? That is part of the will of God. It's through practice. And many of us, I think, are, are wanting God to just tell us what to do, and that's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is us working through a process of learning and discovering, and our good God is patient with us, he walks with us, and he treats us just like we treat our children. The worst thing I can do is tell my, my child how to think and what to think. The best thing I can do is ask a question. Because through that question, that child is learning and understanding. Like how many times do you want your parents to give you the answer for the homework, right? Give me the answer. Will that help, will that help a child? No. Will they get good grades? But will, will they develop and grow and mature? No, they won't. And I think so many times we go to our Heavenly Father, like just tell me what to do before I do it so I don't make any mistakes. And God's like, oh, you're always gonna make mistakes. It's baked into it. You are gonna make bad decisions. You are gonna have regrets. See, all of us in here have those, and you think you're the only one that has that. But here's the difference between those who are able to move forward with it, the ones who are able to move forward with it from last week, I said, they learn from it, they leverage their past. They understand that's part of life. It doesn't throw them off track. They don't get super depressed and discouraged and wonder like, some of you, like, why did I ever pick this career? Did I make the wrong choice? And I want you to understand this about the will of God, is this discerning the will of God requires patience to develop discerning, trying to understand what the Lord wants you to do with your life, wants you to do in the next decision you're going to make. Listen, it's going to require patience and practice. And you've got to be very patient with yourself and understand there's going to be mistakes that are made. And many of us don't, don't, don't understand that he said through practice they developed the skill. Through practice they developed the skill. And can I tell you this, you write this down about practice, is that practice requires patience. It requires trial and error. Just like the you know, drawing I showed my son how to practice that, the same way we go to the gym and shoot ball and he gets so mad at practice because he's missing shots. I said, this is where you miss shots at. He's like, Dad, how did you get so good at shooting jump shots? I said, I shot 300 jump shots a day and tracked where I made them, where I missed them. Every day I had a graph paper and I did that. 
300. I'm not lying to you. And he's like, you shot 300? I said, yes. I said, you don't develop a skill without practice. I said, I missed a lot of jump shots. And he was so upset because at practice he's missing shots. I think so many of us need to take the pressure off ourselves and understand that it's going to require practice for you to understand what God wants for your life. It's going to take you making some bad decisions to understand what a good decision is. It's going to take you, listen, uh, through through my my time as a senior pastor in 13 years, I'm a lot better now at hiring people than I I used to be. Because now I can spot things a mile away. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I would, why did I ever hire that person? It required practice. You don't get good at something without practicing it. And you have to stop being so hard on yourself when you make the mistake, when the bad decision is made. And don't be so scared to, to make a bad decision. You don't make any decision. And you're worried to death. You know, there are people who are scared about just, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I may not be pleasing to God. He must take these two jobs. Which one does God want? Trust the Lord and move forward with it, and you may make a bad decision. It may not turn out right. And, and here's the thing that you have to do to release that stress and that pressure so you can step out and do what God's called you to do. The statements that destroy the skill of developing this discerning mind to discern the will of God is I should have. And this goes into last week, too, about forgiving yourself. This one statement will destroy your mental health. I should have. Yes, you should have. We all should have. Insert your, your blank there, right? I should have done this better. I should have done that better. All of us have that. And if you stay there, you are going to ruin your mental health. Um, I said last week, like many times I, I had to like, when I had to forgive myself, I had to sit and, and encourage myself, sit down in front of myself and talk to myself, right? The old version of myself. And tell myself how proud I was of myself and all those things. And I shared that. If you didn't get a chance, go watch that. Because here's what you have to realize. You're always talking to yourself. You're always telling yourself a narrative or telling yourself something. And you would never sit down with your child who was 10 years old and say, hey, let me sit down. When you were four years old, you colored on the wall. You drew all over that wall. You messed up. I had to get it repainted. You know, you should have known better. You should have done better. You wouldn't do that to a, four, to a 10-year-old that did it when they were four, would you? Hopefully you wouldn't. If you're a parent and you do that, man, seriously, come, let's, let's help you because that, that's, that's destructive to a child, right? But you do that to yourself all the time. You're so angry at the younger version of yourself who didn't have the knowledge you have now. Now, I'm gonna show you what you should say to yourself, but don't say, oh, man, oh, I should have, I should have. If you live in that, you'll never get into what God wants for you, Right? The second statement is this, and this is very destructive, you should have. You should have done this and telling other people that. Because what it cre- creates in them is shame. Oh, man, you're right. You know, I am worthless. I am no good. I should, yeah, you know. You should and you shouldn't have. I'm gonna tell you what to say. You're saying, what, what, what do I say then? But the should statements are shame-based statements that will keep you paralyzed looking back in your past. Here's what you have to say if you're going to develop the skill, though. Here's the statements that you've got to say. Number one is this, I wish I would have, but here's what I can do now. If you want to learn the skill and become mature and discern what the mind of God is, I, I wish I would have, but here's what I can do now. There's nothing at all you can do about the past bad decision. Yeah, we all wish we'd done something better, but what can you do now? That's what maturity comes in. 
That's where somebody who's mature and making great decisions, somebody who's mature in the will of God, they're not always looking back at the past and living there. They're able to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I wish I would have, but here are the decisions I can make moving forward from what happened back then. And here's what you have to say to others as well, and especially if you're in a marriage, this is great to say, I wish you would have, but here's what we can do now. Because if you just leave somebody out, you should have, you shouldn't have done this, you should have bought the flowers, you should have remembered that, you should have, and you just leave somebody there, it's shame and there's no resolve. And when somebody messes up around you, we need other people who speak into our life, we can say, man, I I wish you would have done this, but here's what we can do now. Here's what we can move forward. If you have a child and they're growing in that stage, they've got to make some decisions, guys. I love you, I love you, but listen to me. You can keep them bubble wrapped and in your home until they're 18. And keep them all up in there and you just kind of keep them covered, make every decision for them. Eventually, they're going to break out of your bubble wrap and go make their own decisions. And they're going to have to fail. That's how they learn. That's how you learned, right? The same thing. And when a child does that and they, they choose the career that didn't work or went to school and it didn't work out, or whatever, man, I, you know, I, wish, I wish we could have done, I wish that had been better. But you know what? Here's what we can do now. And my dad always did that with me when I was making some of the worst mistakes in my life. My dad, as perfectionistic and as, a, he was a jerk, right? He was not a nice, kind man. Never heard I love you. Didn't get hugs, all that stuff. Some of you think you have bad parents. I wish you'd live in my household. Amen, <laughs> right? He never, ever just said, you should have. I mean, he told me that one time. He said, son, I wish you'd have just thrown the drugs away instead of trying to hide them because the police found them. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian, I didn't go to church, we didn't grow up in church. He said, well, here's what we can do now. We gotta go to court. We're gonna get this thing expunged. We're gonna work with, 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 and that is how you find freedom to move forward in God's plan for your life. There are people that you need to give permission so they can forgive themselves, and then you need to get permission to forgive yourself so you can move forward in God's will. Because it's gonna take practice. It's gonna take trial and error in your life, and it will take trial and error with those around you. And here's my fear, though. Here's my fear. If we don't understand the process of discerning the mind of God in all things, we will give up everything. You've got to learn to discern the mind of God in all things. When you're going to make a decision, it's it's really trying to pray and think through, God, what is your mind on this? What is your heart on this? And you may not have a, a clear answer. You know that? Do I choose option A or option B? And there's no clear option that Scripture tells you to choose. And if you don't understand that discerning the mind of God, the, the mind of God is, is trial and error, and there's going to be practice involved with it, and you may make a mistake, you may choose the wrong job, and it's okay. If you don't understand that, you can give up everything. Because you're going to make the wrong decision, or what it seems to be the wrong decision. You're going you're gonna to mess up, you're going to make it, and then you're going to give up everything. And I watch people do that all the time. And they'll say, why did God lead me into this job? To fail. If he really was for me, he wouldn't have, what does he really care about me? And people just give up everything. And they give up their faith and they walk out, not understanding that in the will of God for your life, there's gonna be some, some, some decisions you make. It's like, man, why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I make that, that decision in there? And you have to understand that discerning the mind of God takes practice. It's gonna take practice. Remember Allen Iverson? Practice? 
you're talking about practice? That's for all basketball fans, right? If you don't watch the NBA, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But he was like, I don't need practice. Friends, you're gonna need practice when it comes to understanding the will of God for your life. It's gonna come for you when you make the decision, look back on it and learn from it. And here's what I want you to do, and here's the action I want you to take with it, is develop the skill of discerning the mind of God. It's a skill. Somebody who knows the Lord, somebody who you go to, and you get it. I have, I have again, someone I call every Monday morning, and I talk to not only once a week, sometimes two, two or three times a week. And when I have decisions to make, man, that guy just knows the Lord, man. Every major life decision, I'm going to him. Man, what do you think? Help me out. And he has the skill of discerning the mind of God. Some of us in here as believers have never discerned that, have never developed that skill. You never went through the process of learning what the will of God is and what the mind of God is and the heart of God is for situations. And what I want to do the next few minutes we have is show you that as you move forward in what God has for you, as you forgive yourself and release the shame and get out of that and move forward, here's what you're going to do. And look at Romans 12 too, very familiar verse of scripture. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, watch this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like people who are mature have a renewed mind. I'm gonna talk about what that, what that is. But look what, what, what he says, that you may prove. Say prove. I had you say the word training other uh, earlier. Why these are tied together. May prove what, what is good and acceptable and per, what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. May prove. Now you... Well, the way I was told that before is that you know on the front end what God's perfect will is for your life, right? There's a perfect will of God. That's a lot of pressure. There's the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God for your life. Is that not a lot of pressure? Don't mess up the perfect will of God. Then what do you do? Everything's messed up. The rest of your life is now just, it's, it's all off course. You're in the wrong direction. That word proved there dismantles that, that, that theology that man made up. That word proved there, you know what it means? It's the same word for a science experiment where you're testing and trying something out. Tokimadzo is the Greek word. If you're doubting me, go, go study the etymology of that. Tokimadzo, we're gonna test it and prove it and try it and see what works and what doesn't work. And, and Paul is saying as you, as you are walking in a renewed mind, because a renewed mind wants to know the heart of God. A renewed mind wants to know what God thinks about this. They, they, they do care about that. But here's what a renewed mind does. A renewed mind also takes some training, some practicing, some trying this, and maybe it doesn't work. And I want to help you with that today. And if you have your notes, write this down, because discerning the, the mind of God takes a renewed mind. So how do we do that? How do we develop the skill of discerning the mind of God? Number one, Know that it's okay to be wrong about something. It's okay. I always thought as a great leader, you could never be wrong about anything when you're making plans and you're leading an organization. You can't be wrong. And then I got around a guy named Larry Osborne who pastored North Coast Church, and he was there over 40-something years, brilliant man of God. And I sat with him, and I listened to... Um, one of his talks, and his talks was this, is Innovations, a little book called Innovations, Dirty Little Secret by Innovation. Innovators make a lot of mistakes. He said anytime they go as a church, they have multiple, multiple campuses everywhere in California. He said anytime they go into a campus launch, you know the first question they're asking? What if it doesn't work? What do we do? 
What's our fallout strategy? I had never heard that. I was like, no, nah, man, you're right. I was like, what? I was like, you mean you go into something saying, what if I'm wrong? Well, so I'm trying to help you. What if you went into you taking that new job thinking, well, I could be wrong. But if I'm wrong, here's what I can do. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. You're not, you've not messed up the will of God. You've not destroyed God's will for your life because some of you are thinking, I can't be used by God because I made the wrong decision. That wrong decision is how you learn how to make the right decision. Amen? That's how you learn it. And if you are okay with that, understand that God bakes that in, you're going to listen to the lies of the enemy and never move forward in what God has for you. It's okay to be wrong. Second is this, filter your feelings through the word of God. Because feelings are strong. Feelings are real. Feelings aren't facts. The word of God is truth. And you're trying to discern the mind of God, develop that skill to, to know what God wants for you. You have to, one of the books that I read that really changed my life was uh, Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. It's a book for business leaders. But one of the things that they showed was anytime you're making a big decision, attain emotional distance and look at it without the emotion, without the feeling attached to it. In the same way as believers, filter your feelings through the word of God. Well, I feel this way about something. I feel strongly about this. What does the word of God say about this? What is God's heart for this? Because the word of God, that will show you the will of God. So what's God's heart on this? Now, here's the next point, because this is very important. Because sometimes the word of God doesn't speak to something, does it? Do I take job A or job B? Do, is it this person or that person? Is it this house or that house, right? And sometimes the God doesn't tell you what to do with it. So what do you do when approaching a gray area? Then use conviction, your conviction bias. So as you're discerning the word of God and you're practicing, it's okay to be wrong. You may be wrong. Don't let your feelings lead you. Let God's word lead you. But then when you get to a place where you're trying to discern the will of God for something and figure out what God wants for you, use your conviction bias on gray areas. There's some things the Bible does not speak about. But can I tell you, it speaks about a lot of things. So don't, don't ever assume it doesn't first. But if it does not speak to something, I have people all the time come say, well, my job wants me to do this, this, and this, but I'm not comfortable with this. Like they're promoting this agenda or that agenda and I'm just not okay with it, right? What do I do? Um, the worst thing I can do is tell you what I would do in a situation. Because gray area, there's convictions. And you have, to be, you have to honor your conviction. And that's what I always bring somebody back to. I'm at this job, they want me to, to you know, promote this certain agenda that I'm not cool with, what do I, what would you do in this situation, Pastor Kevin? It's not what I do, I wanna, I wanna ask you the question, what will your conviction, what does it say to you? And if your conviction is saying, your conscience is saying, don't you dare do that, don't you dare do that. Because somebody else may be okay with something. That's a gray area conviction, right? You may not be okay with that. We can't copy and paste gray area convictions into each other's life. I mean, you guys know me. I mean, I, got, I, got, I have tattoos. They're all about Jesus. And I love Jesus, and I played in the punk rock uh, you know, industry where they all had tattoos that hated Jesus, and I got tattoos about loving Jesus. You, your conviction may say, don't ever put that on there. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us not to get tattoos. Leviticus talks about marking your body for the pagan uh, rites for the dead of like, the Canaanites. You're not Israelites. 
We don't have Canaan next door to us, and you're not trying to be like the Canaanites who are marking your body for the dead, right? It was, a, it was actually a spiritual ritual practice they were doing, right? A lot to get into. The New Testament doesn't speak to believers at all about tattoos. But for me, I have no conviction. Now, we'll tell you this. If you don't have them, don't get them. You know why? Because they hurt. They cost a lot of money. And you get old, I've had to get all mine redone, and I hate it. I go in, he's like, how long do you want to sit for? I'm like, man, just do like two hours. I can't handle anything else. I take four or five ibuprofen. I'm like, oh, I got to stop, man, it hurts. It's not cool, it's not fun. So if you don't have them, don't get them. But I bring that up and tease that out because for you, that may be a conviction for you. Don't ask me what I would do. You have that conviction and you've got to honor that. And then finally, here's the, the final point in discerning the will of God for your life and, and practicing that skill. Use community and spiritual authority as a dual threat. Let me explain that. Community and spiritual authority. The Apostle Paul, he used these two things in all of his life. He had community. He had people around him that prayed with him and that spoke into situations and that walked through situations with him. You know, the apostle Paul one time had a vision to go to Macedonia. So he's sleeping one night and he sees a man waving his hand saying, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul gathers the whole team that morning and says, hey boys, we're going to Macedonia. We're going to see some souls get saved. You ready? They're like, yeah, let's do it. They hop on a boat. Short story is they never make it to Macedonia and Paul gets almost stoned to death. It was not a successful trip. He had community. And he, so to him, it could have been, well, God, why did you do that? Did I make a wrong decision? He had community who walked with him through those things. When he got ready to go to Jerusalem, and they knew this is the end for Paul, he had friends around him saying, hey, man, if you go, this is it. We don't want you to go. We love you. But if you believe this is the will of God for your life, we're going to support you in it. And then he had spiritual authority. Paul actually submitted to James and Peter and John. Yeah, he did. Go back and look at the book of Acts. That's, that's how he ended up going to Jerusalem and going to Rome to die, was they said, we don't think you really, you really are Jewish enough and you're offending our Jewish brothers because they say that you're not accepting our traditions and following through on those. He said, no, 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 I'm good. I'm gonna do a shave offering, right? Took, take, took, he took two young men there to do a shave offering and, he's, and that's where he's arrested because he submitted to them, said, no, 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 I'm on board. I'll submit to you in that. And friends, can I tell you, for me and you, if you want to know the will of God and discern the will of God, you need community. You don't need a church to go sit in a chair and listen to a man preach. You need community. That's why we do small groups and serve teams. You need people around you that you can trust and you can talk to and you can bounce ideas off of, you can share your failures with, that will walk with you through that. That's community. Lord, we don't need another church. People need community. Find those people in your life. And you need spiritual authority. Find somebody that you respect enough that will tell you when you're making a dumb decision. Find somebody in your life. I have men of God over me. Some are my bosses. Some are just spiritual authority in my life. That they speak to me. They pull me aside and say, hey, man, I just want to talk to you about something. Hey, you know, I'm just concerned about this have that because if you have community around you and people above you that you respect and people that are spiritual that can that can speak into your life that can tell you that you're wrong or they don't really believe what you're doing is, is right or help guide you in things 
then you will always have a tough time knowing what God's will is for your life. Because my heart is this. I want you to leave here taking the pressure off yourself. Just breathe. You're going to make some wrong decisions. But God's going to use those to develop the skill in your life through training so you can know what is right and what is wrong, what is God's will and what is not God's will in your life. That's how you get there. And sometimes you won't know on the front end. It's on the back end after you make the decision that you'll know. Does that take a little bit of pressure off of you? Does that help you out a little bit? Especially you perfectionist. I know, I know, I know y'all mad at me. You, you want to foolproof your life. That's not how it's going to work. Stop drawing with a pen. Pull out your pencil and get your eraser handy and be okay with it. And at the end of the day, if you'll do that, you will have a beautiful piece of art called your life where you have followed God. Following God's will is not a mathematical equation. It's an art with some mistakes built into it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just pray that we would move toward maturity, which is through skill, Lord, and practice that we learn this. Take the pressure off, Lord. I pray every person in here, Lord, who is beating themselves up, who's living in the shoulds and shouldn'ts, they would release that today. And they would understand that, Lord, maturity comes through the bad decisions, the poor decisions, the good decisions, the mistakes, the celebrations, the successes, Lord. It comes through that. And may every person in here, Lord God, follow you, discerning your heart and your mind for what you want in their life, God, and knowing that, God, you will even take the wrong decisions and use it to strengthen us, Lord, to teach us, to give us wisdom so others can have wisdom from us, God, as we grow. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe your next decision is giving your life to Jesus. Whether you're in here physically or online today, and you're saying, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow God's will for my life. I do want to walk with the Lord. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. Today, I make Jesus my Lord. For I believe that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Today, I repent of my sins and receive forgiveness. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. Help me, Lord, to follow you and to follow your will for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.